Haunted host, Luce Tomlin Brenner. Happy Halloween, all of you lanterns out in Halloween land. Today is our day. The calendar has struck 31. It's our magical time. The veil is getting so thin, thinner with every moment as we stalk closer to the midnight hour, the witching hour. I hope you have some fun frights in store today. I've got something for you that I think you are going to enjoy quite a bit. Today I had the chillingly delightful opportunity to talk to author and podcaster Joseph Fink who is the co-author of the New York Times best-selling adult novels, It Devours, and Welcome to Night Vale. He created the Welcome to Night Vale and Alice Isn't Dead podcasts. And in 2016, Fink and Jeffrey Craner launched the podcast network Night Vale Presents, which features fiction and nonfiction podcasts. But today, Joseph and I get to discuss his brand new book, The Halloween Moon. I am obsessed with this book. I devoured it this week, and it gave me the exact sense of chill and foreboding that I needed to really ring in this final week of our favorite season. Screams, candy, and dreadfully wonderful costumes. Ugh, Halloween has it all. Yet... This harmless, fun-filled night of trick-or-treating turns dangerous in the Halloween moon. Combining fast-paced thrills with a captivating band of relatable characters, Fink is able to weave together a heartfelt story about growing up, friendship, understanding, and the spookiest night of the year. If you're already starting to worry about the impending Halloween hangover, don't fret, Order this book from your local bookseller and dive in and stretch out this Halloween season a little longer. For now, I hope you enjoy this interview with the incredible Joseph Fink and make sure to stick around because we're answering a few eek mails at the very end. Well, welcome to It's Always Halloween, Joseph Fink. Hi, thanks for having me. Yes, it is terrific to have you here because I absolutely adored The Halloween Moon. I read that you wrote it for yourself at 13, but I mean, it's very much for me at 13, but also me in my 30s as well. (laughs) Yeah, I, I always go, I always write for myself. I always try to write the thing that I wanna see. Um, because my, my theory is always that if I am really excited about it, there will be at least one other person who will be too. I totally agree. That's the, the impetus of this podcast is enthusiasm for Halloween. So Esther Gold, I feel like not only is me, but would be a fan of this show if she was in our world. (laughs) I certainly think so. 
Um, so a big plot point of the story, and this is, we won't get into any spoilers, but Esther's parents ban her from trick-or-treating because she's 13 and in the eighth grade. And I'm someone who trick-or-treated through the eighth grade, and this made me furious and very sad. (laughs) Did you stop trick-or-treating in middle school or did you have this fight with your parents? I stopped trick-or-treating well before that because oh my gosh (laughs) there is another character in the book who essentially had the experience i had my parents didn't like halloween um not for like religious reasons they just were uh, kind of found it annoying and so (laughs) my mom offered me the deal that she would take me to the movies on halloween night and then go and buy me candy the next day um, and so that's what I did starting at around age eight, maybe. Wow, that's pretty young. Did you feel left out or did that feel like a good deal? At the time, I was OK with it. Um, you know, I saw some great I saw that thing you do on huh. Halloween. I saw Waiting for Guffman on Halloween. I saw some <laughs> very fun movies. I, I had a good time on Halloween. Um, I do think it's the reason I'm very into Halloween now is I don't feel like I got the full Halloween experience as a kid, I feel like I, I missed that a bit. And so it's left me kind of more interested in the holiday than I think I would otherwise be. Oh, wow. When did that take up in you? Was that when you were hit adulthood or in your teens? Uh, yeah, I don't know. I think I started to see stuff that I, I, I also think there was a kind of a shift in culture of just more general entertainment that explored the feeling of Halloween, you know, the Mm. kind of fun, spooky feeling of Halloween. Um, I don't know if you know about the game costume quest. Ooh, I don't No, Please tell me. Oh, this, yeah, this should be given the the subject matter of the show. You should know about this game. It's a RPG. There was actually two of them. There's costume quest one and two, and it's an RPG in which you play as kids trick or treating. (gasps) Um, And um, there's like monsters stealing all the candy and you have to stop them. Um, it's uh, and it's just dripping with that Halloween atmosphere. Um, and so I think I started. I played that, and I realized, you know, I really like this. I like, I like the Halloween vibe a lot. And um, that's when I started. My wife and I started buying more and more decorations. I mean, I I do remember as a kid, I always really loved the houses that went way too big for Halloween. You know, the houses that just fully went for it. I loved those. And so we're, we're trying to gradually become that house, just kind of getting, adding a few things to the collection every year. Oh, I love that. That was my favorite thing as a kid too. My parents would drive me around. I'm an only child. And we, we'd go around and look at Halloween decorations as if they were Christmas lights. (laughs) Yeah. And also, I mean, I'm, I'm Jewish. And so I didn't do Christmas lights. Like this is, this is my house decoration. Oh, that's fantastic. Do you have like a favorite decoration now that you're an adult that you're like, this is the coup de grace. This is the main focus. Uh, well we have giant light up spider webs. They're like kind of made of Christmas light type things, but they're giant spider webs with glowing spiders in them. Um, I really enjoy those. And then we just have like a projection of bats flying around by the front door. Oh, incredible. Do you get a lot of trick-or-treaters where you are? That's a great question. I have never been home on Halloween Ah. because 
um, I used to tour for a living, both live show touring and also book touring. And October was just a really busy time for that. I was always on tour. And then 2020 was the first year, obviously, I wasn't on tour for anything. But as it happens, I was in California um, visiting family at the time. And so uh, this will be the first year in the six years I've lived in this house that we are actually home for Halloween. I'm curious if we will, because I live uh, in a very rural area. I live in, basically in the middle of the woods. Ooh, um, extra spooky. So I know there are children on this street, but the houses are so far apart that I'm, I'm curious if anyone will come by. You know, I've had some uh, lanterns write in and tell us about their rural experience of driving to each house to go trick-or-treating, which totally put a new spin on it for me, involving like the car where you could have maybe a soundtrack while you're driving from house to house. I mean, I assume you'd have to out here. I'm trying to think like if you walked for a half an hour, you and, and it had to be a round trip. So you're like doing 15 minutes each way. You'd maybe get to seven houses. Oh, yeah. Like, That's not enough to fill a pumpkin. <laughs> um, so not being allowed to trick or treat is very much wrapped up in a larger story about Esther's fears around growing up and we actually, we have a variety of lanterns who listen to the show, including many in Esther's position. How do you think that, uh, you know, books and storytelling can help younger people process these complex emotions and experiences around getting older and maybe aging out of things that they once love or that pressure? See, I love trick-or-treating and I never wanted to stop, but there's the pressure that it's not cool anymore after a certain age. So my parents didn't make me stop, but like my peers kind of enforced that. I remember my grandma Mary once was handing out candy and a bunch of teenagers came to the door and she said, you seem awful big to be trick or treating. And so they all got down on their knees. <laughs> I love candy. that. Very quick. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think that. I think that writing and reading Stories with a fantastical element with the supernatural, a lot of that is about exploring darker or more difficult feelings in our life in a way that is fun and safe. Mm -hmm, definitely. Um, that's what interests me about writing it. And so I think a story like this that explores, um, yeah, the the scary aspect of growing older, the the fact that there are things that you loved that you won't be able to do her anymore or just won't start to seem interesting anymore. And there's new things and it's just constantly changing. And that, that could be very scary. And so I tried to explore that with this story of time, literally standing still, you know, kind of the taking the opposite. What if nothing changed? Would mm. that be any good? Yeah, because that's kind of how you feel when you're in a time of your life or even an event where you're like, this is so fun. This is the most fun. I never want it to stop. But the actual consequences of that are very, I mean, exhausting in the best way. You know, at the best, it's exhausting. At the worst, it's terrifying. <laughs> yeah, I mean, change is, is scary, but it's also... I don't remember whether I put this in the book. Um, because I address a little bit, like, you know, the people in your family growing older um, is also a frightening thing. And I remember... 
I remember when I was younger, I was talking with my dad about death and about dealing with grief. And he told me that, you know, the thing about it is people have to die because then new people are born, mm. you know, that it's part of it's part of the, the cycle that you can't have people growing up and young people and new new people uh, without people dying as well. And so he he felt OK with it because that was all part of this process. And then you it can be scary to be inside that process, but the good parts come with with the bad parts. Mm, that's really beautiful. I love that. Did that set your mind at ease as a to hear that as a young person? Um, yeah, yes and no. I've yeah, had my ups and downs with the concept. Of course. <laughs> yes, death always feels like, uh, that's what I think is interesting about Halloween. And I personally don't feel like it's just a kid's holiday because it's this interesting time for us to really embrace death in a way, or if not embrace it, accept it and, and look it in the eyes and be like, okay, I see you. <laughs> and conceptually, I personally feel like I'm able to do that. But then anytime it touches personally, it's so much more terrifying. Yeah. And that's, but that's the beauty of horror and the beauty of Halloween is, is it's about exploring some of that in a way that feels fun, but it's also allowing you to think about this stuff from, from that distance. Absolutely. Wow. I love that. Um, well, do you think that Halloween is a, a holiday just for kids? Do you feel like there's ways, I mean, obviously you are collecting decorations and you're enjoying it as adults, but I've had many people ask me if we enjoy it as adults because of nostalgia. And I kind of bristle at that because while nostalgia is obviously, there's a shade of that in there, you're still creating new memories all the time as a grown up. Yeah, I mean, nostalgia a bit, but as I said, I don't actually have that much in the way of childhood memories of Halloween. Um, so I don't think it's completely nostalgia. I talk a bit in The Halloween Moon about Esther's reasons for loving Halloween, and it's it's kind of the reason I love it too, which is, you know, the world is a very factual place there's mm -hmm. there's a lot of dismissing of fiction of storytelling of the value mm -hmm. of things that aren't true mm -hmm. um, and halloween is a day that everyone gets together and tells each other a scary story and makes up a scary play like it's a day of celebrating the make-believe um and i think there is a lot of value in that as adults especially especially as adults because kids already instinctually understand the value of make-believe, but I think a lot of adults think that they're better than that when, in fact, make-believe has a lot of value in our life. Yes. Wow. I agree with that so much, and I really love that point. I'm going to include that every time someone's like, you just are reliving your childhood. Not <laughs> true. <laughs> um, you know, that reminds me of one of my favorite lines in the book. I'm I think this is exact. I'm not sure. Uh, but at one point, Esther says the real world was scary in a way that was boring and difficult, which made me cackle <laughs> out loud. And I was just like, yes, Esther, I've been saying that for years. Like, it's scary in all the wrong ways. I hate it. <laughs> yeah, it goes. Yeah, it just keeps going back to what I believe is the value of horror, which is that the world is scary in a boring way. 
And horror allows us to explore the feeling of scary, but in an exciting, fun way. Yeah, absolutely. I've always loved the idea of hidden worlds, you know, like something just beyond that door. If you go in this one place that no one else is looking, um, you know, and you've definitely done that so well in the Halloween moon and in uh, Night Vale as well. Um, besides just exploring, you know, real world, being able to process complex emotions, what else do you enjoy about hidden worlds or this idea that there's something just below the surface, something else that might be going on? I mean, this is an idea I've had bubbling for a while, but I, I, I do kind of believe that realistic fiction is less realistic than supernatural fiction mm -hmm. in that realistic fiction depicts the world as it is, but it only on a surface level in a lot of ways. And I think supernatural fiction captures the way the world feels. Um, we, we experience the world through ourselves. And I think there, there's so much running under the current of just the surface level, what is happening that, that exploring hidden worlds and exploring the things that flow underneath what we can see it touches something very real in us. It touches mm. something very real in the way we experience the world. Mm. Yes, totally. Oh my gosh. One of my favorite um, hidden world stories and movies is Coraline. And I can no longer look at little doors in the same way because they often have doors like that in crawl spaces and houses or apartments. And I'm like, I can't live here. This is, <laughs> this is going to take me to another world. <laughs> Uh, so I both love it and also fear it. <laughs> um, so do you, what, I, I have a few questions here. Um, do you believe in ghosts or any supernatural creatures or cryptozoology at all? Or is it something that you find to be just fun to play around with uh, and you feel more firmly in the real world than that? I do not believe in any of that at all. Um, I was raised by a mother who was very firmly in the world of science and taught me all of that from a very young age. And so, yeah, I don't find anything real in things like ghosts, but um, I find value in the, the, a lot of value in the story of them. Ah, fantastic. So you're, you can walk into a dark room and you're not worried about what's lurking in the corners. Depends on the day. I mean, I also have a very active imagination and I, you know, I write scary things for a living in a lot of ways. Um, so I'm constantly running that. Um, I don't think at any point I believe there's anything actually there, but I do think my imagination can set up some chemical processes in my body going that <laughs> make me feel scared. That is such a grounded and logical reasoning, and I love that. <laughs> I find, I think of, uh, I usually think of that too, but in the moment, at 3 a.m. when I wake up and I think I'm seeing like a hereditary co Tony Col Collette in my <laughs> ceiling, I start to, it's hard to calm myself back down again. <laughs> well, I'll tell you, I mean, I have um, a number of weird sleep things. One is that I uh, have gotten sleep paralysis my whole life. Oh, interesting. Um, but another is that I hallucinate after sleeping pretty regularly. Um, if there's anything in the room that is at all human shaped, 
um, I will see it fully as a person for a good minute after waking up. Oh my God, um, Joseph, that's terrifying. <laughs> but it isn't, it isn't. I mean, it, it, yeah. I think it kind of, it sort of made firm my disbelief in ghosts because mm. people are like, well, this is, I saw this thing and I'm like, well, I, you know, saw a person standing in the corner for a good minute before my brain adjusted and saw it correctly as a bathrobe. Right. Hanging. Um, and once you kind of become to terms with what's happening, I, I often don't love, I won't usually when I wake up, look around the room cause I don't love seeing sure. <laughs> hallucinations, but um, I've come to terms with what they are and I don't really feel particularly afraid of them. Ah, that's, very, I'm very impressed. Very good job. Uh, do you ever take anything like those experiences and put that into your writing? I mean, I, I've never done it directly. Um, but I think a lot of writing is like dreaming mm -hmm. that it, it all comes from your life, but not always in ways that you yourself can follow. Mm. Yes. That's interesting, right? Occasionally I, I've written things that I can't even believe came out of me. Yeah, I, you know, it's the classic question of where do you get your ideas? And the answer is, uh, I mean, I don't know, but I, I do think it's the same question as where do you get your dreams? You know, mm -hmm. your brain makes these leaps and creates these images and you don't always understand how it's happening. It's kind of exciting. It's like being possessed, but in like a really friendly, helpful way instead of like entirely terrifying way. Yeah, I mean, I also always have had a love-hate relationship with dreams in that I, I don't, I sometimes panic when I fall asleep because I don't like, I don't like dreaming. I don't like having all of these experiences I don't have any control over. Mm. Um so I, I sometimes have a love-hate relationship with the ability of my brain to create create these make-believe things. Hmm, interesting. Yes, I've definitely, I've had experiences while I have an entire week of nightmares. And then on like the last day of it, I'm just like, I can't, I can't do this tonight. I just need to go to sleep. <laughs> like I need a little break and then it won't, then it doesn't happen again. And I, I definitely relate to that feeling of like, if I could just choose, because <laughs> just having your brain take over is such a wild experience. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's it's weird to hallucinate sometimes after I wake up, but it it's just a fact of life we come to terms with that we hallucinate for several hours at night. And, and while it's happening, we have no idea that we, we think it's all real. And that's mm. a really wild concept to come to terms with <laughs> yeah it's like we are kind of living our own supernatural lives in the evening yeah i mean i think to go back to your question about hidden worlds i think a lot of it has to do with dreaming you know mm -hmm. we we have no choice but we, we we spend in essence half our lives in a a world that doesn't exist and so i think that relates pretty strongly to our our interest in that Hmm. Yeah, I've never put that together before, but I really love that. I'm going to be thinking of that for a while. Thank you for making that connection for me. Oh, I love that. Um, all right. Well, I have a couple more just kind of fun, simple Halloween questions that I know lanterns are they're always writing in, calling in, asking about. Uh, do you have favorite like 
do you like horror or do you like things that are more cozy Halloween? And what are your favorites, if so? I mean, I mostly watch horror. That's mostly uh, what I watch this year round. Oh, nice. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Same, Um, yes. (laughs) I kind of watch three types of movies, basically. I watch horror movies. I watch action movies sometimes and sometimes like children's animated movies. But I would say that's like 80% horror, 10% the other two. Mm -hmm. Um, Those are kind of essentially the only three types of movies I I get around to watching. Um, so and because of that, there's not like a particular I associate with Halloween other than ones that take place on Halloween. You know, Trick or Treat obviously has become a Halloween classic. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I, I just kind of am always watching horror, whether it's October or July. That's fantastic. Yes. Same here. I have realized uh over the last year being extra difficult that there is a level of violence that i am uh, my tolerance for has really waned and i've gotten more into atmospheric horror films uh i'm really enjoying a lot of like classics 40s 50s and 60s this year because i just I watched a few more gory ones and i just felt my serotonin totally depleting <laughs> i was like oh god i can't I need to take a little break. Do you ever feel like you get, um, I don't know, like worn out from it? Or are you able to apply the same sort of logic of like unreality versus the real world? Um, yeah, I don't know. I, it's, it's most of what I watch. I do occasionally hit a point. Usually it's with a particular movie where I'll just find that I've become a little jumpy. <laughs> which is not an experience I love, or if it's like messing with my sleep. Mm. And then at that point, I'll kind of stop for a little bit just to give my my adrenaline system a little time to relax right. before I, <laughs> I go back into it. Um, well, we have a couple of listener eek mails that I would love to share with you if you have time here. There's a couple of questions that Absolutely. listeners have. Okay, great. Um, this one is... Just the title is Halloween Parties, and it starts, Hello, fellow Halloween lovers. First, let me say, I'm so happy this podcast exists. It makes me feel like I'm not the only one that's obsessed with all things Halloween, so thank you. Some of my favorite Halloween memories are Halloween parties. Ever since my sister and I were kids, we're talking the early 2000s, we would host Halloween parties in our backyard, garage, or basement. Our parents encouraged us to have these parties and graciously allowed us to plan them. Most kids anxiously await Christmas, but my sister and I were different. We could never wait for Halloween. We would start planning our parties in the summer because we were so excited, and each year we wanted it to be the best party yet. One year, we had our parents save cardboard boxes so we could create mazes out of them in our backyard, equipped with strobe lights, creepy masks, and dead ends. (laughs) Another year, we created a haunted trail in our backyard, and our dad would hide behind our shed with a scary mask and chase us. We even set up a mock graveyard and a witch's tent. Another year, we created a haunted house in our basement, and for a nice element of surprise, we had one of our neighbors bang on the windows to scare everyone. 
Even though we're now grown, our love for Halloween parties has not stopped. My sister and I continue to have them each year with new elements. Side note, dry ice is a game changer. (laughs) This year we did a pumpkin beer tasting party along with lots of Halloween treats and decorations. I will share the video TikTok link below so you can see some of it. And I'll drop that in the show notes for everyone to see. Did you have any Halloween parties uh, growing up or as an adult? And if so, what are your favorite ones? Anyways, thanks for reading. I'm glad I discovered the podcast. I'll be sipping my Halloween flavored coffee and listening while watching the fall, while watching the leaves fall. Happy hauntings, Megan. Wow, Megan, it sounds like you had the coolest childhood ever. (laughs) See, this is what I mean about Halloween of, you know, name another holiday in which an entire family gets together and puts on what is essentially a play. Yes. Like, like (laughs) it's a holiday about telling stories together. I just, I, you said it. I love that the entire family got together like that. That support is incredible. My parents were very pro Halloween, but I don't know if I could have gotten them to, like you said, engage in a theatrics in the same way. (laughs) Um, what, so did you didn't celebrate Halloween after eight years old? So I'm assuming you never got to have Halloween parties while you were growing up. Uh, no. Yeah. My parents, I mean, the farthest they went with Halloween is occasionally they would carve a pumpkin with us. Okay. Um, I do remember doing that, but, uh, definitely my parents were a very much porch lights off house Aww. on Halloween. <laughs> yep. Um, did you get to have any Halloween parties, you know, once you graduated and moved out on your own as an adult? I have never thrown or attended a Halloween party. I mean, as I said, for the last 10 years or so, I've always been working on Halloween. I've always been on tour somewhere. Um, and then now I'm home and I would love to throw a Halloween party, but it's just, a, you know for health reasons, not, not the time also because, uh, I live in the woods, so right, there's right. not that many friends nearby. Um, <laughs> oh, but a Halloween it's something I would very woods. much love to do, but I have never had the chance to. I want that for you so badly. It breaks my heart a little. <laughs> you haven't attended even a Halloween party. Um, not that I remember. Okay, well, a non-memorable Halloween party does not count. Like, (laughs) you did a bad job (laughs) if you don't remember it. Um, Well, I uh, never hosted one growing up, but my next-door neighbors across the street who we were, like, family friends with, who had girls around my age, would throw, like, a block Halloween party for kids every year. And there were like the classic games of like uh, touching the witch's eyeballs, you know, passing. But you always see that on TV, but we actually got to do it. Um, and it was really gross. I remember it being like sticky and wet and uh, it was kind of messy. I, I feel like I know why that's a, a game that's only on TV because it doesn't make practical sense in real life. Um, but I had I have great memories of that. They used to tell scary stories everybody would like circle up and all the adults would do like their own version, like urban legend type stuff. And then I would go home and have a hard time sleeping. (laughs) Um, And then as an adult, I've thrown three very successful Halloween parties, two in college that were bangers for sure. And then I threw one here in LA a few years ago 
that was, I think, one of the best parties I've ever thrown. I look back on it with nostalgia, even though it was five years ago. <laughs> but we, I made all of, the, I like did all the Pinterest, downloaded all the Pinterest recipes that I've been was saving for years. I like did all the difficult, like made little witches' fingers out of pretzel rods and gelatin worms and all kinds of different, you know, difficult projects. I went all in. I spent almost a whole month working on it and it was, it was worth it. It was great, but I haven't had that amount of time or money since. <laughs> so we have to make sure you get to throw a party at some point. I feel like I need to check in with you in like five years and be like, have you done that party yet? Have that party. <laughs> Someday. I, I'm now have, I have a four month old daughter, so I do feel like throwing parties will be something that happens more often now. Ah. Uh. Yes, that'll be fantastic. You can give her the Halloween that you didn't get to have. Yeah, except for, you know, we're very into it. So there's every chance she'll grow up to just kind of hate Halloween. Oh, no. <laughs> I think there's like a nice middle ground. She can rebel against something else. Not Halloween. <laughs> um, all right. This next one, the subject line is scarecrows at Halloween. Hi, Luce. I just wanted to write in to share a favorite Halloween book of mine and a loosely related Halloween story. The book is called The Night the Scarecrow Walked by Natalie Savage Carlson. It's a book I first read when I was a child, and although it's an illustrated kid's book, it never fails to put me in a Halloween mood. It certainly has a spooky vibe that I just love. I read it every year around this time. It's out of print now, but there are lots of inexpensive used copies for sale online. Next, I have a scarecrow-related story. This took place in the 80s when I was between 7 and 9 years old. My dad was taking my brother and I trick-or-treating around our neighborhood. I was dressed as a devil and my brother was a pirate. Those are good 80s costumes. <laughs> we, we came to a house where a man was standing at the foot of the steps leading up to the house. The porch was enclosed, but the door was wide open. The man told us we could only go up to the porch to get candy one at a time. I was immediately suspicious. This was an obvious breach in the etiquette, as none of the other houses did this sort of thing. I went up first by myself. On the porch, there were two people seat seated in wicker porch furniture. In between them, in a separate chair, was a, quote, scarecrow. There was a bowl of candy on the scarecrow's lap. They told me if I wanted some candy, I just had to shake the scarecrow's hand first. I just knew that something unpleasant was about to happen to me, and I steeled myself preparing for the inevitable scare. I lifted the scarecrow's hand so I could shake it. It did feel a little too heavy, and it was obvious that this was just an adult dressed as a scarecrow an adult who was no doubt going to scare me to death. However, I shook the scarecrow's hand, I took a piece of candy, and nothing happened. I quickly exited the porch and walked back to my dad and brother. My brother is three years younger than me. I told him there was someone dressed as a scarecrow and they were probably going to scare him. He decided that he wanted to go get some candy anyways. I watched my brother go up the porch and shake the scarecrow's hand. As expected, the scarecrow shouted, Boo! and lunged towards my brother. He ran screaming and crying down the steps and leapt into my dad's arms. I can't help but laugh about it now, but at the time, I remember feeling really angry at the adults for scaring my brother. In an unusually selfless act on my part, 
I went back up to the porch and asked for a piece of candy for my brother since he never got one. I recently asked my brother if he remembered the incident. All he said was, I chose wrong. (laughs) I have many more Halloween memories, but I'll share them at a later time. Congrats on making your film. It always makes me happy to see creative people putting interesting and exciting content out into the world. Sincerely, Jason. (laughs) I hate that. Okay, right? Like, that's everything about that setup is gross for me. Like, I agree. To me, Halloween scares are about fun. They're consensual. Mm -hmm. There's something about that that feels very like the fact that they didn't do it to the older child and then did it to the younger child. It just feels mean. Absolutely. And and I hate everything about that. That that feels entirely counter to the spirit of Halloween. Yeah, it was like they wanted to make them upset. It was for the parent or the adult's enjoyment rather than the kids. Yeah, it was bullying. It was bullying pretending to be halloween yeah not, not a fan no i agree um, i remember stuff like that happening to me when i trick-or-treated and like a porch full of adults laughing at me and i was like you're humiliating a seven-year-old <laughs> like, yeah like if you're i don't know if you're excited about being able to scare a seven-year-old you're just making yourself look awful like <laughs> yeah it's like pretty easy to do <laughs> um on a happier subject of a scarecrow it reminds me of a horror podcast i very much recommend to folks called the sink um it's a british podcast i forget the name of the writer she's she's really wonderful um it's uh it's it's short it's only like six episodes long and i would describe it almost like sketch horror (laughs) like it's just a series of brief horror vignettes um kind of built around the idea that it's like a a guided meditation for sleep podcast mm. but it's just like a series of these weird and there's one in the very first episode that involves a scarecrow that's really really good it's one of the most memorable ones in the the show oh fantastic well thank you for that and it's spelled the sink like s-i-n-k yes like, like a kitchen sinking. sink the sink Amazing. All right, great. Well, I will uh, track that down and put a link to that in the show notes for everybody. Um, I had never heard of The Night the Scarecrow Walked. Had you, Jason, uh, Joseph? I have not. Um, I wonder if it it's possible it postdates me being a, at that kind of the age for it. Uh, yeah, it's a really cool, the pictures that Jason sent to us um, are really neat. The I'm, I'm googling it now so I can see the uh Yeah, they that's an orange cover with a black scene of two kids running through the woods with a full moon oh. and a jack-o'-lantern sort of like grinning, smirking at them. And the on the back, the short little description says, It was the kind of night when it's easy to believe in ghosts and witches. There was a big moon, a Halloween moon perhaps, and long shadows. An owl moaned and branches creaked. As Jeff and Libby Lou neared the cornfield, a dark cloud covered the face of the moon. Look, said Jeff in a frightened whisper. The scarecrow is moving. Libby Lou gasped. And it's coming this way. (laughs) Looking at the photo. So it's from 1979. So definitely I could have known about it. But yeah, I've never seen this before. It looks very cool. Yeah, right. I really love that illustration. This looks like the kind of book that like doesn't really exist, but 
uh, magically appears on your school library shelf Halloween week. <laughs> yeah. Lightly cursed, perhaps. <laughs> and I have then, a nephew who's obsessed with Halloween, so I might have to see if I can... I don't know how hard it is to track down copies of this book. Oh, fantastic. I mean, yeah, Jason said that there are a lot available online, even though it's out of print. So perhaps uh, you can Yeah, I don't it. know if people know about Biblio.com, but um, I, I stumbled on it recently, and it's a really great site for being able to get out of print books pretty easily and cheaply. Like I found a number of out of print books there that, you know, you can buy for five bucks and they show up at your house a week later. Wow. That's fantastic. Okay, great. Yeah. I know we have a lot of listeners who collect, um, children's like you know, Halloween themed books or, um, like scary books aimed at younger readers. So perfect. We'll put uh, biblio.com in the show notes as well. And I have a really fantastic picture of Jason dressed as uh, a devil with a little tinfoil made um, pitchfork and his brother as a pirate with a tinfoil made uh, scythe, which I really love the idea of a pirate with a scythe. I don't think I've ever seen that look before. <laughs> the famous scythe pirate. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> to my mom's credit. I, you know, I have been talking about my parents' lack of Halloween spirit, but to my mom's credit, she did one year make me a Darth Vader mask out of paper mache, fully oh. from scratch. Whoa, that's so cool. How did it look? I mean, it looked like a paper mache version of Darth Vader. Like, it's not gonna, <laughs> f it's not, it doesn't look like it's from the movie, but it was very recognizable as Darth Vader. I kept it for years afterwards. It just sat on my shelf. Oh, wow. I love that. Was that your favorite costume? Probably. I don't have a lot of memory. I, costumes were never the big part for me, honestly. Mm -hmm. I'm not good at crafts. Same. Um, and so, like, constructing a costume always felt very just not up my alley. Yes. It always felt more like an obligation than anything else. Yeah, I feel the exact same way. I loved it as a kid because my mom helped my parents. That is what they pitched in on. They didn't want to host a bunch of children in our house, but they did help me like DIY costumes. And I really loved doing that as a kid and even, uh, you know, in middle school. But by the time I was out on my own, you know what it was? It was when social media became more popular because then cosplayers kind of came out of the woodwork and people who had these perfect like costumes, everything is exact the way it looked in a movie or a show. And it made it seem like putting together your own artsy costume from whatever you had or even paper macheing something was not going to uh, stand up to all the other people who are like buying these perfect looks. It started to stress me out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The, uh, I don't know the the costume stuff was always just, yeah. I'm not also like not a fashion person. So I always felt like I didn't, I didn't, I felt not good enough with the costumes. <laughs> if somebody invited you to a Halloween party and they were like costumes mandatory would you just order something from online or would you try to whip something up from what you had that's a good question uh, the one time um i had to do costumes we, we did a book event on halloween and we like me and my co-writer of the book and we decided hey it's on halloween let's dress up um he dressed up as the log lady he like <laughs> got a prop log mailed to the hotel we were going to stay in and that that stop 
Um, I just dressed as uh, I so I write this or I wrote this podcast and then this novel called Alice Isn't Dead. Um, and uh, so I decided to dress as the villain from Alice Isn't Dead. So I kind of cosplayed as the villain of my own work. Oh, that's perfect. You created it twice. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it was kind of easy because he he wears a very specific hat that we had started selling as merch. Oh. So it was sort of I could just buy that hat and then kind of wear the rest of the clothes were just clothes I brought. That's pretty cute. Did you have uh, for that reading? Did uh, fans come dressed as characters or were you guys the only ones dressed up? I don't remember. I mean, fans come dressed as characters to events all the time year oh, round. Cute. Uh, See, they're bringing you Halloween. You get it. (laughs) Exactly. So then for you, it's always Halloween also. Yeah, I try. I I try to keep Halloween in my heart. Ah, good. We love to hear that. Uh, Well, Joseph, it was such a scream having you here today. Thank you for your time. Thank you for diving into the Halloween moon with us a little more. I, I mean, thank you for writing it. It really took me back to... Like I said, childhood, but then I was also fully, I still felt like Esther, even in my 30s. I I was like transfixed on this experience like it was happening to me. <laughs> so I'm really, really glad to hear that. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you for writing it. It was such a treat to, you know, go up to the week of Halloween with this story in my brain. And I'm really excited to pass it on to the listener. So everybody go get this book. It's a new favorite. If you like the Halloween tree, it really reminded me of that similar immersive vibe by Ray Bradbury. So I know that's so many people's favorite books. So you will love the Halloween moon. Uh, All right. Well, thank you so much, Joseph. I hope you have a really fantastic Halloween, one of your first Halloween home with your new family. Yeah, I'm, I'm very excited. All right. Thanks so much. Take care. Thank you. If you've read The Halloween Moon or you want to discuss anything that we mentioned on the episode today, please give us a call on the All Hallows Hotline at 802-532-DEAD or write us an email at itsalwayshalloweenpodcast at gmail.com. You can also reach us on Instagram at itsalwayshalloweenpodcast. It's Always Halloween is produced by the Patreon Ghoul Gang. If you would like to join Patreon and help us make new episodes every week, then you can visit patreon.com slash it's always Halloween or make a one-time donation using our tip jar. You can also support the podcast by buying It's Always Halloween merch on Redbubble. That link is in our show notes and on our Instagram as well. This episode of It's Always Halloween was performed by me, Luce Tomlin Brenner. Our fabulous guest was Joseph Fink. If you would like to buy The Halloween Moon, I put a link in our show notes to my favorite independent bookseller here in Los Angeles, Skylight. And I highly recommend checking out your own local independent bookstores and supporting them as well. The editing theme music and sound design for today's episode is by pete burns thanks so much pete today's episode and every episode really (laughs) you can follow me on instagram and twitter at ltb comedy pete at mittenberries and joseph fink at planet of finks 
If you're on Apple Podcasts, please subscribe and write us a little review so that other like-minded ghouls can find us. We're also on the NPR One app, so subscribe to us there and tell Ira Glass that you love us. Thanks so much for listening to It's Always Halloween. And come back next time, unless a secret door opens up in your house and transports you to another world. Thank you.